In Canada, discount airlines have a tough time. There have been a few that have come and gone. Independent airlines and discount airlines in Canada don't have a great track record. Eric Atkins is the Globe's transportation reporter. And recently, he's been reporting on discount airline Lynx Air. The Calgary-based company tried to succeed where others failed. It started uh, in one form or another in 2006. It was founded as Enerjet by a former WestJet executive, Tim Morgan. Enerjet's business plan was to fly energy workers in and around the oil patch in Alberta. Uh, That didn't really work. They retrenched. They had various other names and various other plans that never came to be. Jet Naked, Fly 2. And then they finally started as Lynx less than two years ago in 2022. Lynx Air operated nine planes and offered cheap flights. But then, last week, things took a turn. Late Thursday night, they put out a a note saying they had been granted creditor protection in an Alberta court, and they were going to stop flying on Sunday night, uh, mountain time. That would be the end of it. So they were going to wind up operations, bring all their planes back to Alberta, and cease flying. Over the weekend, they cancelled several flights. They wanted to bring their aircraft home. But what that meant is people who were in Cancun, Las Vegas, other places that they you know, were dropped off by Lynx, uh, had to find their own way home. Lynx Air, like so many others, went bust. Today, Eric will talk about what happened with Lynx Air, why discount airlines in Canada keep failing, and where this all leaves customers. I'm Manika Raman-Wilms, and this is The Decibel from The Globe and Mail. Eric, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. So Lynx Air is what we call a discount airline. Uh, So what distinguishes a discount airline from something like an Air Canada or a WestJet? A discount airline sells you the seat and nothing else. Uh, um, Your baggage check-in, even your uh, carry-on baggage is extra. The food and drink, if they uh, offer it at all, are extra. Although on Lynx, you got a free bottle of water, but Lynx didn't (laughs) even sell food. And they often, uh, a low-cost carrier will fly into a secondary market where costs are are lower, Um, competition for gates, among other airlines, is less. Lynx was unusual for a low-cost carrier in that they they did fly into Toronto, Montreal, Calgary. They went into the the big markets, Um, but that also meant they were going head-to-head with the established carriers, WestJet, Air Canada, and Porter. Hmm, Okay. And what about their staff? Like if you're working for a Lynx versus an Air Canada, are you getting paid similar amounts? No, you're generally getting paid less. Lynx's staff had just certified with unions. They were becoming unionized. I don't think they had ever negotiated their first contract. That would have driven up expenses for Mm -hmm. them even further. Um, But uh, uh, they run their airplanes more often than a typical airline would. They, uh, They turn it more quickly. They sweat the assets as they say, and they also run one kind of aircraft, um, which, uh, you know, standardizes your maintenance, your training, um, your usage across your fleet. Lynx had uh, one one type, which was uh, nine Boeing 737 Maxes. 
Okay, so your pl- replacement parts are the same. Your pilots only have to train on one aircraft. That that's the benefit. Exactly. Okay, so it sounds like really a, a discount airline. The 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 main difference here is that the prices that they're offering customers for for flying on these flights. Uh, so in the case of of Lynx, Eric, what what kind of prices were they offering for a seat? Well, uh, from Calgary to Montreal, last I checked, you could, you could fly for less than a hundred dollars on Lynx versus you know mm-hmm. depending on the day and and the class, it could be several hundred dollars on uh, WestJet or Air Canada. Um, You touched on this a little bit, but let's talk about it directly. Like when we talk about the place in the Canadian market that Lynx was trying to fill, yeah, what what exactly was that hole that they were trying to fill? The low-cost carriers say they're they're not trying to compete head-on with uh, the established carriers. They're not trying to compete for the people who fly, uh, certainly for business or, you know, even for leisure. They're trying to stimulate new uh, entrants, new uh, customers in the market. Uh, Stimulate is their word. Um, you know, people who ordinarily would take the car or take a bus or maybe not fly at all. Students, uh, uh, you know, people with families who uh, cannot afford um, to buy tickets for four people. Uh, Flying is an expensive proposition. And the low-cost carriers would, would target people who ordinarily could not or would not be able to afford uh, airfare. Okay. And I know you actually got to see court documents that Lynx filed. Uh, what what did you learn uh, as to why they decided to end their operations on Sunday? They blamed their demise on on a few things. Uh, the first thing was their delayed startup due to the grounding of, of the global grounding of the uh, uh, Boeing 737 MAX. This that, is because of the two crashes that happened. Yeah, in back. Ethiopia and, and Indonesia. It had nothing to do with Lynx or any other Canadian airline, but for safety reasons, um, uh, Aviation authorities around the world grounded every single MAX until Boeing could come up with a fix for the problem. So that delayed their start by a couple of years. When they finally did get going, jet fuel had increased exponentially in the midst of the pandemic. And the pandemic itself reduced uh, the, the number of passengers who were willing to travel. Um, you know, it's returned now, but uh, in 2022, it was still, you know, um, coming in fits and starts. Okay, so that's what Link said is kind of the reasons behind it. Um, they were they also owed some money here. Can can we talk about that? Sure, they owe about six hundred million dollars to a very long list of suppliers, including um, CBSA, which is the uh, security service of the federal government. They owe about twenty five million dollars there. Hmm. They owe twenty five million dollars to taxpayers, the federal government, for importing airplanes, even though they lease the planes, they don't buy them. They still owe 5% GST on the import of their aircraft. They owe uh, $2.4 million to the operator of uh, Toronto Pearson Airport for landing rights and other things. Um, The list goes on and on. Hmm. And so why did they then decide to end operations on Sunday? Like what what was it that, you know, made them basically shut down? Well, they said um, they faced uh, enforcement action from uh, various suppliers. In other words, they uh, faced the possibility of having aircraft seized, of being shut out of Toronto Pearson, where they, you know, they got 30% of their business from that airport. And they warned that it would have been a, a chaotic and haphazard end to the company. Instead, uh, they went to a judge and said, we need 10 days to, pr- to be protected from creditors so we can wind down the business in an orderly fashion. Um, according to the court filings, they have about $2.5 million in cash $53 million in assets, but they owe about $600 million in total. And $126 million of that is in short-term liabilities. So now the court will decide how much each of those creditors get, and it'll typically be, you know, 
cents on the dollar. And what does that all mean, though, for for their customers, like who people who were going to fly links who had bought tickets? Like, can, can people get their money back? Uh, probably not from links. Um, when it announced it was shutting down, the airline told uh, passengers to seek a refund from their credit card company. And, you know, depending on whether or not you have travel insurance, credit card insurance, um, if you bought your ticket from a travel agent, depending on the province you live in, various provinces, some provinces, including Ontario, have a fund uh, that you can apply to that covers uh, failed, you know, failed airlines and, and canceled flights. Um, but it's, it remains to be seen, as they say. The uh, Canadian Transportation Agency has uh, put a halt to all complaints related to the airline. Um, and they told me uh, earlier this week that they're not optimistic that passengers will get any kind of satisfaction from the airline itself. Hmm. Eric, have you have you talked to anyone affected by this? I talked to one man who called his credit card provider, like Lynx told him to, and uh, his credit card company said, basically, we don't cover this. We don't cover bankrupt airlines. Um, I talked to another woman whose two uh, uh, university-aged daughters are in Cancun, um, possibly still. They flew down last week uh, uh, in their flight. They were due to return on Thursday of this week, and um, they were trying to find a flight home. Unfortunately, all the other airlines are charging uh, you know, $2,000 for two tickets to return to Toronto. Uh, and she wasn't sure where they were going to stay as of la late last week. Wow. So, yeah, it's actually putting a lot of people in kind of a difficult situation then. Yeah, they canceled a lot of return flights over the weekend to bring the aircraft home, but not the people. We'll be right back. This is not the first time a discount airline has failed in Canada. Can can you just jog our memory a little bit, Eric? What are some of the other discount airlines that have operated here? Um, there's been a, a you know a fairly long list of discount and independent smaller airlines that have come and gone. Canada Three Thousand, Canjet, JetsGo, WestJet Swoop, uh, which was WestJet's discount uh, brand. They're, that they folded that airline into its own uh, uh, bigger brand, and then there is Sunwing as well. WestJet purchased Sunwing uh, uh, a couple of years ago, and they're folding that company into its own brand. Sunwing wasn't a discount carrier. It's a leisure sun carrier, but nevertheless, it is also uh, going away. Um, people have long said, we, we have too many airlines in Canada, and the market seems to be taking care of that. Hmm. And so now that Lynx is gone, uh, how many discount airlines do we actually have left? Uh, really, we only have Flair left, which uh, is based in Alberta as well. It flies 19... Um, uh, 737 Maxes. It flies within Canada. It flies to the U.S. and a, a couple sun destinations as well. It does fly to secondary markets like Kitchener, Ontario, and it does offer uh, cut rate fares with uh, no frills. Okay, so our options basically in Canada, we've got Air Canada, WestJet, we've still got Flair, and we've also got like Air Transat and, and, and Porter, but but those two aren't actually discount airlines then? No, they're not. Uh, Air Transat is primarily a leisure carrier. They're, they're big flying um, sun seekers to Europe and the Caribbean. Leisure primarily go to the holiday spots as opposed to domestic um, out and back uh, destinations. They recently started offering uh, cross-Canada flights, but um, we're not sure how well that is going to go. Porter, which everybody in Ontario knows, um, operates out of the island, but it recently bought uh, a whole That's bunch of- That's the Toronto of, Island, yeah. Yes, yeah. the Toronto, the, the small airport right by the downtown. 
Um, but it recently added a, a whole bunch of jets, bigger jets. It's flying out of Pearson, Montreal, all the bigger airports. And it's trying to make a go of the cross-country uh, domestic market. But it's not a discounter. They'll, they'll tell you that. Um, they, they kind of fall in between the discounters and the uh, more established carriers mm -hmm. price-wise. Okay. Um, so that's the situation in Canada. But, but what about outside of Canada? Do discount airlines tend to succeed outside of Canada? They're well established in the U.S. and Europe. And there's a reason they're, they're well entrenched and successful in those countries is those countries have lower fees uh, charged by the airports and various governments. The countries are more dense so they can they don't have to fly, you know. Um, Calgary to Toronto to, 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 to sell a fare. They can do shorter hops, especially in Europe and parts of the U.S., mm. where flights are certainly cheaper than they are here. They're, it's a bigger market. There are just more people in those countries. Um, Canada is, as we all know, it's very dispersed. Um, we have a lot of geography here. It's a big place with not a whole lot of people spread out over a massive country. Um, you know, you can fly across the country um, in six hours where you can get to, you know, across Europe in that same time. Hmm. Okay, so let's let's talk about some of the reasons why Lynx uh, and the other discount airlines that, that came before, uh, why they can't seem to make it in Canada then. So I, I want to ask you about three factors here, Eric. And the first one is fees and taxes charged by Canadian airports, because they are higher than in other countries. So So how much higher are they and how big of a factor is this? Well, the airlines will tell you they they are a big factor. Um, I'm looking at an Air Canada ticket that itemizes all the fees that Canadians uh, uh, are, are charged when they buy a ticket from Air Canada, and every airline, frankly, would pay the same amount um, uh, and pass it on to the passengers. There's uh, um, there's taxes of you know 13 or 15 percent. There's an airport improvement fee of 35 dollars for every departing flight. Um, that's from Toronto, but um, most airports in Canada uh, charge, you know, almost as much, if not a little bit more. There's a, a air traveler security charge. You're paying seven to twenty-five dollars to have your, uh, you know, take off your belt, have your bag searched, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. And then there are, you know, fees for uh, that the airline itself pays, uh, landing rights, uh, gate fees. Um, the airports themselves charge are charged rent by the federal government. So all those things um, uh, come out of the customer's ticket. Hmm. In the U.S., by contrast, the airports do not pay rent to the federal government. They're owned by the government. They're either owned by the municipality, the state, or, or the federal government. And, you know, taxes are generally less. Fuel is certainly less in the U.S. In Europe, the, they have kind of a, a different model again, whereas the airports are allowed to have private investors. Um, large pension funds, including some Canadian ones, are investors in uh, European airports. Um, they're allowed to make a profit, but it also helps them pay for improvements. Whereas in, in Canada, the, the only way airports can uh, make improvements is by taking on debt or waiting for the odd government grant. What is the model that we have in Canada then? Like, how does it how does it work here? Why are we paying all these additional fees every time we fly? In the 90s, the federal government hived off the uh, airport authorities into nonprofit independent companies. Um, Transport Canada owns the airports and they're operated by these nonprofit uh, entities, the Greater Toronto Airport Authority, hmm. for instance. And they pay rent to the federal government. Uh, they pay a lot of rent, in fact, about $6 billion since they were created toward taxpayers. So it's, in Canada, we have a user pay system. So if the airports are funded by the, by the airline customer. In the U.S., 
the airports are funded by the general tax uh, base. Okay, so in Canada, you only kind of pay those fees if you're actually using the airport. Then. Yes. Hmm. And just to kind of hammer this point home, Eric, so if we're looking at Canada versus the U.S., like, for example, the air, the airport improvement fee, what is what is the difference between what someone in Canada would pay for that and what someone leaving out of a U.S. airport would pay for that? Uh, in Canada, for well, for Pearson, it's $35 for every departing passenger. In the U.S., it's about four fifty U.S., so it's substantial, and you pay it on the way home as well. So if you go to from Toronto to Montreal, you pay thirty five dollars when you leave, and you pay I forget what Montreal's is, but you pay you know another thirty dollars or forty dollars when you depart Montreal on the way home. So if you're flying a family of four, um, you know it quickly adds up to a few hundred dollars yeah. on top of your ticket. Wow. What do airports say about these fees and the fact that these are passed on to the customer? They say it's a user pay system, and if you don't fly, um, you know you don't bear the cost. They say it makes sense. What the airports don't want to do is pay rent to the federal government. They say they want to be able to invest the money they pay as rent into improvements in the airports themselves, so they don't have to take on debt. Because the user pay system in the pandemic basically failed. All the users went away. The airports were left trying to, you know, you still have to maintain your runway, operate, you know, things to a certain degree. And without users, uh, uh, they had no money to do that. So the airports, all of them, have taken on a, a tremendous amount of debt since the pandemic. And now they're, they're, you know, they're trying to deal with it. Okay, so that's the first element. Uh, the, the second hurdle I want to talk about is investment. Uh, Eric, you've reported that there's really a shallow pool of investment capital for airlines like Lynx Air in Canada. Uh, what, what exactly does that mean? Well, there are foreign ownership restrictions on airlines, which means the airlines can only tap, you know, a limited number of, uh, of funds and investors to invest in them. A Canadian airline can't be owned more than 49% by foreign money. So it has to be majority Canadian owned. 51% Canadian owned. And no foreign entity can, by itself can own more than 25% of a certain airline. Hmm. Okay. So basically because... Um, you can't, it has to be majority Canadian owned. It kind of restricts then who can invest in an airlines and maybe makes it not as attractive to invest in, I guess. Yes. Hmm. All right. So we've got fees and taxes. We've got investment. Um, the third point I want to ask you about, Eric, is the lack of competition in Canada. H- how does that fit in? Uh-huh. Well, um, Air Canada and WestJet between them own about 70, 75% of the Canadian market simply because they're so huge. They both have hundreds of planes. They go just about everywhere. They fee, they have a hub system where you buy a ticket and you can you know, end up all over the world by buying one Air Canada ticket. The discount carriers don't do that. They offer you know, out and back to one, one thing and then you have to buy another ticket if you want to get anywhere else. Um, so it really is a duopoly. Um, I've been told by people in the industry, Canada is big enough to support two and a half airlines. So you've got WestJet, Air Canada, and, uh, you know, what is the other half airline? It used to, in Eastern Canada, you know, it was Porter. Um, but now that Porter is trying to go nationally, are they trying to get three airlines? Out West, we've got Flair and formerly Lynx. Maybe they were the other half airline in Western Canada. But uh, it is harder for the smaller people, to, the smaller airlines to compete with the established carriers. To some degree, you know, WestJet and Air Canada, you know, they were forced to compete um, however, the other companies are so small that um, nobody is expecting uh, the demise of Lynx to have any uh, you know, major impact on the overall price of airfares in Canada. 
So this is actually what I wanted to ask you as we're kind of, you know, rounding out this conversation, Eric. So now that we're in the situation with Link's, Link's demise, uh, so this doesn't necessarily mean higher costs for Canadians now? It, it's hard to say on certain routes, um, you know, a discounted ticket has gone away. Um, I guess we'll see if Flair wants to step into those markets or if the other airlines will as well. But they have higher cost bases and they're not able in, in a lot of cases to offer for any sustained length of time uh, a lower lower fare. And Lynx, when, when it said it was it was shutting down, it said it was trying to stabilize. Does that mean, is there a chance that it could come back? Uh, no, they, they say we're done. We're winding down the business. However, uh, in the court documents, they said they had a, an agreement, a term sheet with Flair Airlines. It's Alberta discount rival. Um, there had been rumors that they were uh, in takeover talks. Hmm. By Flair. By Flair, yeah. Uh, Flair is not in great financial shape itself, so you know we're not sure how that would work. Um, Flair told me yesterday that when Lynx sought creditor protection, all the talks have stopped. But Lynx says in the court documents, um, you know, its goal is to sell itself to uh, Flair or another buyer when this is all over. So, Eric, from all the factors that we've talked about here, I mean, is Canada just a market that is unattractive for, for discount airlines and for people to, to start this kind of company here? I mean, airline entrepreneurs seem to uh, never give up. But all you have to do is look at the uh, list of U.S. discount airlines that refuse to fly into Canada because of the high fees. Um, you know, Southwest, Spirit, Allegiant, Wiz, uh, they they frontier they don't come to canada they often fly to uh, the u.s border towns buffalo burlington vermont uh, watertown usa bellingham washington and uh, when i talk to people at those airports a big part of their business is canadians crossing the border and getting on a discount airline you know one hour drive from their home hmm. i mean this is kind of like the conversation we often have with with cell phone companies we just we seem to have less options sometimes than other places. Like we're just kind of in, in Canada, we're, we're in a situation where we're kind of left with not really having access to a discount airline where other other places in the States and Europe do. Yeah. Less competition always leads to higher prices. Eric, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. That's it for today. I'm Manika Raman-Wilms. Our producers are Madeline White, Cheryl Sutherland, and Rachel Levy-McLaughlin. David Crosby edits the show. Adrian Chung is our senior producer, and Angela Pachenza is our executive editor. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.